Uh, are the Chiefs destined for another Super Bowl run? Will Justin Herbert take a step forward in year two, or is he bound for regression? How bad do the Raiders have to be for John Gruden to be on the hot seat? Those are just some of the questions we're here to ask and answer on this episode of the NFL Season Preview AFC West. And on this episode of the Sportfolio Kings live stream and pod, we are lumping together the Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders, and Chargers with none other than Josiah. Uh, on Twitter, you can find him with Sharp Clark NFL. Uh, we found uh, Josiah recently and have been talking to him, picking his brain, and he's been providing a ton of insight and value. And we hope to see what he has to uh, say about the AFC West uh, today. Deep value better. Brett is off for the evening. Uh, so let's get into it. We'll start with the AFC West. I'm going to click it over and let's see. Josiah, what did we learn from last year's Super Bowl favorite, the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, so the obvious takeaway that everyone knows is their offensive line was depleted and got destroyed by the Bucks front seven. And, and that's primarily why they lost the game. Um, but I think something that gets underlooked is how good the Chiefs defense has played mm -hmm. since Steve Spagnuolo took over as defensive coordinator. It's not just been Mahomes in the offense. It's been a, I mean, they're not an elite defense, don't get me wrong, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people underrating them. Against Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl, they actually did their part. There were some unfortunate penalties that led to some, some you know, first downs for the Bucks. There was that offsides on a field goal attempt. There was the interception that was overturned by a defensive holding on the other side of the field. Um, I think they did their part. And um, by all accounts, they, they haven't really lost much. In fact, they, the Chiefs spend more money on their defense than their offense right now. Um, so I think this is a more balanced team than people give them credit for. But ultimately, the Bucks defense was just too much for them. And they just couldn't couldn't fulfill the offensive end of the bargain. Yeah, you make a really good point. Actually, you know, I remember last year when the Super Bowl was happening and be probably because I was a little biased, I had a ton of money on the Bucks uh, futures for the Super Bowl. Um, them, the Chiefs, and I think the Steelers were my big three. Um, but in that game, I remember the first quarter, I was mind boggled how the Bucks offense couldn't do anything and neither could the Chiefs offense, which I somewhat was ahead of the curve on uh, for the Super Bowl. But I think to your point, you know, and doing some uh, reading and some research, it seems the Chiefs defense really held their own in the third quarter, especially to let the Chiefs get back into games last year because they really seemed to struggle in the first halves. I think they were, what, 10 or 11 games. They might have been down at the half or, you know, some some kind of, I forget the exact number. But, you know, to your point, the Chiefs defense is really kind of what, and, and, and the year before in the Super Bowl versus the 49ers, it was the Chiefs defense that really saved that game to allow Patrick Mahomes to do what he did. So I think to your point that really maybe the Chiefs defense is kind of the glue holding this team together moving forward into this season um, as we look ahead. But real quick, just looking at this chart, uh, this is something new, Deep Value Better put together. Um, basically, we're looking to kind of track what the what we call the butt hurt phenomenon is in the marketplace and using some data from a uh, pregame uh, basically we're looking at how the market fared when betting on um, each team 
uh, last year. And so to kind of see like, you know, where did the market go, you know, all in on a team on a week and did it pay off or did it not pay off? Um, and so as you can see here, uh, basically the uh, splits are the amount of, um, you know, betting market betters on a specific uh, week. And looks like for the Chiefs, obviously there was a nice peaking range through the middle of the season. If we remember some of those games, you know, they handled the bills, they looked pretty good and just kind of were streaking pretty well. Um, but overall in the season, you know, the Chiefs were what? Average margin of victory was seven points, but then their average cover was, you know, less than, less than average. So the Chiefs were a kind of team that I think the market expected to make a lot of money on because they're popular. They went 14 and two. They were Super Bowl favorites. Um, but in the end, yeah, market, market really lost a little bit of money on, on the Chiefs. Not a lot because the Chiefs, I think, still pulled out enough um, ATS, what, seven and nine. Um, but anything from a betting perspective that you think we could learn from last year to pull into this year? Yeah, I mean, I think this chart tracks what happened with the offensive line. So um, they were very strong in the beginning of the year, and then they lost uh, someone in week four, mm -hmm. I think Mitchell Schwartz, maybe week five, Osemele for the year, two two offensive linemen. They'd already lost uh, Juvenet Tardif to the COVID opt-out. And what happened at that point was everyone just assumed they were going to keep rolling because they didn't have any notable injuries. Mahomes was still there, Hill, Kelsey, et cetera. But the problem was without a strong offensive line, they couldn't run the ball. Mm -hmm. And when you have a big lead, you want to run the ball. They didn't do that very well. And so what you saw was them getting these inflated spreads and then not covering because teams always either got the back door or just stayed in it. They couldn't, they couldn't press the lead the way they did in those early games. Um, and so that's why you see this downward angle is everyone's expecting the Chiefs to just roll, but they just weren't as good with the lead. Um, and they just weren't as good against teams that were inferior because they just didn't have, they just didn't have the need for the creativity in the red zone. And they just tried to run it and it didn't work and they kicked field goals. And so that's not yeah, how you cover yeah. big spreads. Interesting. I, and I think you're right. I mean, that, that Super Bowl performance really kind of put a, a nail in the coffin of just how awful I think that offensive line really was by the end of the season. I mean, it just, it was a bunch of backups and scrubs and, you know, I mean, and then everyone saw, I think, I mean, Patrick Mahomes was pressured on 55% of plays or something. Like, it's just like... He ran, he ran like a mile. Yeah. Well, it's part of the reason I, I was so high on the Bucks in the Super Bowl was just from a... Well, he can't... He's going to have half a second to throw half the game. I don't know. I mean, that's... No one no one does that. I mean, he and he almost did to his credit, which is actually speaks to maybe how amazing he actually may be. Is he almost, if you know, if a swing, if a player two swings another way, especially with the refs and some of those early PI type calls, um, you know, maybe the Chiefs get a touchdown early and kind of stay pace. The defense was playing well, so. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they had some bad bad drops. And... Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I can talk about Super Bowl forever. But let's skip ahead to real quick. These are some broad general stats um, from last year. Anything we can pick up? I know we talked about the defense. Um, one thing that stuck out to me is it seemed like the red zone scoring uh, percent for the defense was not very good last year. And I think we also saw that kind of demonstrated again through the playoffs and the Super Bowl is Chiefs actually played better, it seemed, defensively, um, you know, early uh, the 20s, 20s to 20s. But once they got in the red zone, they were kind of easy pickings. Is there, is there anything you're seeing from the defensive side that maybe that um, there might be a reason as to why. I mean, they were an aggressive defense, and so they were trying to get sacks. They were trying to get turnovers. 
And when that didn't work, they got into trouble. And so it was kind of like, it was almost like the longer they can keep the drive going, the more chance they have of getting a big sack or a big interception. And so when the team got all the way down to the 20 inside the red zone, it was like, that just wasn't going to happen that drive. And so they were at their worst kind of in those spots. That's, that's kind of how I saw it. There's also, also some, some noise in, in red zone numbers. For sure, and, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, anything else as far as these, obviously we could pull up all kinds of more better, I guess, stats, but from these just kind of general overview for the public's sake, um, anything that you would see as noticeable to bring into Yeah, something, something that is huge about the Chiefs is they have a very creative offense. Andy Reid is a genius, we all know that. Um, but when they were playing teams that they were easily handling, they weren't as creative in the red zone because it was kind of like, you know, hey, if we're up 13 against Denver, do we really need to use this, you know, weird play where we do this weird motion and then we do like a left-handed shovel to Kelsey running the other way of the, mo you know, like they had all this crazy stuff they'd pull out, but they only pulled it out when they needed to. And so they actually were against teams that had a winning record. They were 28 of 42 converting touchdowns in the red zone, which mm -hmm. is 66%. Against teams with a losing record, they were 15 of 29, which is like 50%. So they were the eighth best red zone team on offense against good teams and the 28th best red zone offense against bad teams. Interesting. And so I think that's another reason why they failed to cover those massive spreads is you're not seeing the Chiefs A game when they're up by 14 against an inferior team that they know they're going to beat. And so that's just something to keep in mind whenever you're betting the Chiefs. Interesting. It reminds me a little bit of that Warriors team when they were really at their hottest point when they got KD is just, you know, the, the moment you thought um, they weren't going to turn it on because, you know, they you know, they're, they didn't have it that night is, is when they blow out, you know, playoff caliber team, but the low end teams are the ones they struggled with and lost to at home once, you know, like, so maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe that just kind of in their blood of when you know you're a great team is, well, I'm not going to show my best stuff against lower competition. Like we'll beat them with, with our left hook instead of our, our right, so to speak. Um, and one thing that was, and we'll move on, but one thing I think was interesting last year is the Chiefs were very, I think they were, what, 5-0 and in three-point games, which seems like, you know, obviously 14-2 and is a, is a very difficult, um, you know, mark to hit every year. But, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some regression in that respect. So, you know, are we going to see a Chiefs dominate the season from a, just a straight-up perspective or... Is it more likely with a tougher division maybe to go down to 11, 12 wins? Um, but I think we can get to that as we go into this next slide, which so we talk, talked about it briefly and we'll just kind of touch on this before we get to the schedule. Is ads and losses from last year, I'll, t I'll start with losses and you go to what additions they had. Um, you know, they lost Sammy Watkins, which I actually think it's not a huge loss in the big picture, but I feel like like, who's their number three receiver, right? So they obviously have um, Kelsey, they have um, Tyreek. But besides that, I mean, it, it seems like the receiving core really gets thinned out. And if their running backs aren't a pivotal part of the offense, as they were in years past, um, not as much last year, I just, I'm a little concerned that if you can solve Kelsey or Tyreek, that the offense starts to become a little more, like, one dimension enough to where you might be able to stifle it. Am I, am I reading the tea leaves wrong there? Or what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think it's possible. I, I mean, definitely they're not they're not going to be as good if either Hill or Kelsey is locked up or injured, obviously. 
Um, but I, we had a four game sample size in 2019 without Tyree Kill. Yeah. And Mahomes just just torched teams with, with Demarcus Andrew. Robinson yeah. and Byron Pringle and whoever it was he felt like picking on that day. So I, I'm not overly concerned if they lost both. Okay, like, you know, write it off. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tough season. But I think they can handle a short period of time without one of those guys. Um, and I, I think they can, I think they're creative enough offensively to, you know, to use everyone, you know, Miko Harmon's gonna get some interesting looks and um, they're gonna use Clyde Edwards Elair a little bit more, I think this year. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned. When I think they picked up what, uh, they get, who's the running back they got? I thought I had it on here, but. Jarek McKinnon? It was Jarek McKinnon, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, which, if he's yeah, healthy. he's got left. Yeah, he's, if he's healthy. Um, and obviously they replaced the whole offensive line. Um, yeah. And obviously they have much more talent from who they replaced. Do you think- That's, that's the big story here. Yeah. Do you think that's is, gonna is have they, time to gel though? I mean, obviously now that there's a you know preseason, that should help, but as far as, you know, because O-lines tend to be about cohesion and, and kind of chemistry. Yeah, and this is why the Chiefs are playing their their offensive line starters deep into these preseason games. And, you know, they've, they've looked good to me. You know, you can't really draw firm conclusions from a half or three quarters um, of a football game. But, yeah, they, they look good and, and cohesion happens over time. And, and, you know, we can't predict for sure, but I think they're going to be better than last year. And, and that's going to be big. For the run game and for the deep passing game in particular, yeah. which require blocking. And I think week one, let's we can actually move ahead to that. Um, you know, first game of the season, it seems like the Chiefs are getting a lot of, um, they're going to be back to what they were the beginning of last season. And just from this Browns line at near seven. And it, and it makes me think that it's a bit of a an anticipatory move by the market to assume that the Chiefs are going to be flying high to start this season with an entirely replaced O-line. But then again, they do have the chemistry of the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes kind of steering the ship angle. But it just feels, I don't know, when I first saw this line, I just thought it was super high. And it makes me think that if the Chiefs start at their peak, it's a long season. I, I just don't see that happening kind of like fundamentally so if they're going to struggle i feel like it's probably in the first few weeks as they get you know just acclimated with the o-line and you know browns can get pressure so i just i don't know like to me it seems like if you're going to fade the chiefs maybe early in the season is the way to do it but i don't know what do you think in that kind of frame of mind <laughs> i think you bet against andy Reid in week one at your own your risk i will i will not be doing it uh <laughs> andy Reid has He's shown when given extra time to prepare, I don't know that there's a better coach in the league. Um, so, you know, Andy Reid has had this game circled. He's got his game plan ready. Um, and and if you remember, the Chiefs were, you know, nine and a half, 10 point favorites at, at home against the Browns in the playoffs last year. And so this line is actually giving the Browns some credit. Whereas I think the Chiefs and the Browns defense has improved. I'm actually, you know, I, I really like the Browns this year. Uh, but the Chiefs offensive line has improved too. And so, I, you know, I, I don't know that you can bet the Chiefs as a big favorite um, against the Browns and like all the things you're saying about the offensive line gelling. It's totally legitimate points, but um, it, this is either a stay away or a bet on the Chiefs game because it's well, Andy Reid in Week One. And that's a that's a fair point. Is is and I, I think that's a key point to like beat home to anybody watching uh, now or in the future. Is this kind of like why force the issue on 
I mean, the numbers say the best team in the NFL, right? Like the market is saying they're going to go back to Super Bowl and win it all, right? As you know, essentially. Um, so why and why force the issue against Andy Reid's 30 years tenure of success? You know, Patrick Mahomes, maybe the best quarterback of all time. Now, it's not to say you can't bet against the Chiefs during the season, but why week one when they have had all season to prepare for this game against a team they played most recently besides, I think, what, two other teams? So it's just like, I don't know, just to your point, either stay off or look, or honestly, if you live bet, look for a good opportunity within the game. You can definitely get a probably a better price on in either direction. If the Chiefs go down early, get a minus two and a half if you want the Chiefs. If the Chiefs go up 10-0, well, you'll get Browns, who knows, plus 17. So, yeah. Um, oh, I know. that That's going to be one one of my favorite games to watch in week Oh, yeah. One. No, I, I think for, from a season perspective, yeah. uh, that, that's a great game to potentially tune into. Um, but, yeah, if we look at the schedule for those listening, um, we'll start with the schedule, then I'll get to Vegas estimated wins, etc. So they start with the Browns, Ravens, Chargers, Eagles, Bills. I mean, that's a, that's a tough four out of five potential games. Um, obviously, Chiefs can probably win all of them, but I could see them losing maybe one or two. Then they go Washington, Titans, Giants, Green Bay. Yeah, those are all winnable, I would say. Uh, maybe maybe a loss in there or two. Um, now I think it kind of depends your your thesis on Washington. How, how dominant can that defense really be? And is Fitzpatrick really going to take them over the top as far as that offense, you know, getting them for five more points a game than last year? Um, then they play Cowboys by week 12, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know. The schedule gets easier as the season progresses, it seems. So the first kind of eight to ten weeks is where maybe you're going to get some good value on the Chiefs if they struggle a little bit, especially especially if they need some time to gel. Then it, it looks like the schedule is set up for them to have a stronger second half of the season. Um, yeah, which, which would be interesting. A bit of an opposite from last year. Yeah. Um, as far as the season win totals go, I, I think, you know, the Chiefs, if they stay fully healthy, they're going to they're gonna win more than 12 and a half games. Um, but the problem with such a high win total is any injury can knock you off course. You're basically just betting on whether or not they have injuries. You know, when you're talking about a team that's at like seven and a half, eight and a half, you can be, you know, you can suffer some injuries, but if you're right, you can still make that. Or if you, you bet the under, it doesn't matter if they suffer injuries. If you're right, you're going to hit that. And I think with the Chiefs, it's like, you know, they're so good that when it, losing five games at full strength, I think is a, is a bit far-fetched as possible, but it's, it's unlikely. But if they have injuries, then that under is going to cash every time. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. And, and honestly, with the extra playoff teams that are now in that get get to the playoffs, I mean, what is the incentive to win 14, 15 games with the extra game? Right. I, like, I don't know. Like, because if you're not going to get the buy, like if you're not that one buy, they're like, they're, like just get in the playoffs. Like, I mean, Bucks did what three road games got to the Super like not saying no problem, but like no problem. To me, the key is like just win your division. Win your division. If it takes ten wins, eleven wins. Like, so it, it may get to a point where if this division maybe struggles a little bit, which we're gonna get to some of these other teams up next. Um, if you're the Chiefs, you know the schedule gets easier later down the road. And Patrick Mahomes, one thing that I feel like the market really 
has avoided. And it's it's exactly what they neglected leading up to the Super Bowl is his injury history. He does get nicked up, he does get hurt, and he does get hobbled. And when that happens, the part of the reason I was bullish on the Bucks in the Super Bowl, not to keep beating that horse, was because in the in the matchup previously, Patrick Mahomes was third and sixes, third and eights, whatever it was in that first matchup. How did he get first downs? He ran it. Got pressure up the middle, put bounced him outside, uses agility, boom, first down. And that's how they ran up the clock too, once it was a three-point game. So once I heard after the the um AFC West Championship that he might be hobbled a little bit and that he was still struggling with that foot. I mean, if he can't run, that that, that is a, a a piece of his game that because he's so good at passing, I think the market thinks, well, it doesn't matter. And versus defense that can get pressure, I think obviously we saw it definitely can and does matter. And so my concern only with the Chiefs, to your point on the under, is... I mean, this is what, two seasons in a row he's missed time and or had almost what people thought at the moment of injury that his season was over. So what's stopping that from happening with, like this season? I mean, you're going to have it again. The question is like, is it severe enough to end a season? Or is it just like, I ah, misses a couple games, comes back hobbled and make it to the Super Bowl? Like, I don't know, but. Yeah, I mean, I was watching his preseason game yesterday, uh, the highlights or the, the replay this morning and Twice in preseason, he ran for the first down and didn't slide. He, he could have slid and got the first down, and he instead he's like barreling into people and like his competitiveness exceeds his ability to recognize like the moment isn't big enough for me to do that, you know, like and and it's just it's like the it, way he is, and and that could lead to another injury. It's, it's, and it's got to be because he's young. Like, and I know Russell Wilson, he was young once and didn't really do that. Like, he's he's always been like the prototype of avoiding getting hit but it seems like maybe you know Patrick Mahomes thinks he's invincible or you know and, and again like that's kind of like an ego thing right it's kind of what two years ago when they were playing the Lions I remember is in pregame he was doing the Steph Curry like let me throw it a hundred yards type you know ridiculousness for no reason no competitive advantage just to show off and that was a moment of like are, are you are you mentally in this game? Because this is, is an NFL team with a uh, top 10 potential quarterback in Matthew Stafford. And Lions took him to the wire and should have won that game as big underdogs. Um, but it's just an example of, you know, maybe his Achilles heel is his basically his hubris. Um, and so, yeah, looking at yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of a Chiefs fan. I am a Chiefs fan. So okay. I'm hoping that the Super Bowl loss was humbling. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see... We'll see, we'll see what happens this year, but it's always a risk. Okay, and to wrap up on the Chiefs, to get to the Broncos next, um, just real quick, their Super Bowl at plus 450 currently to win the Super Bowl. Um, estimated strength of schedule is 11th. Um, obviously, big favorites to make the playoffs. I don't think anybody disagrees that that's fairly likely, depending injuries. Um, but as far as Super Bowl futures, are you interested at all in taking futures on plus 450? Because again, if the schedule's a little tougher in the beginning of the season, if they, you know, if they go a little bit of... 500 for a few games um maybe this line comes comes down a little bit or comes up a little bit like you might get 600 plus 650 maybe i think there's actually good value i mean i i, I think you can find 500 right okay. now probably i mean you just got to shop around with yeah, these things but sure. i think there's value in in chief super bowl i also think, think there's 
value in Mahomes for MVP just because what I'm saying is that the downside is injury risk. The upside is this is clearly the best team in the NFL. Yeah. And so if they do stay healthy, I think you're getting good value with five to one, six to one on those, both of those bets, which I would put, if you were to tell me right now that Mahomes and these guys are going to be healthy the whole season, you know, I would say it's more like two to one that he wins MVP and more like two to one that they win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I think I think you're getting some good value there instead of betting their over on the win total. So that's a great point. And I do have some futures on Casey this year because that was my Super Bowl prediction back in January before the Super Bowl was that the rematch was going to happen with Chiefs and Bucks. So I'm sticking to it. I'm going to I'm going to hold to it until some catastrophic catastrophic injury yeah. changes to that. Um, injury. So we're at Broncos 2020. Um, looking at this, last year their um, estimated wins was seven and a half. They went five and eleven. Um, Drew Locke, for some reason, um, was the market was very bullish on him going into last season. I was not. I don't think Brett was. I don't know if you were, but he played up to our expectations, which was he's probably bottom five quarterback in the NFL, at least. Um, so, needless to say, the Broncos, as um, as a team did not fare well last year and they had obviously a lot of key injuries von miller was out before the season started um receivers were in and out of lineups you know they lost their best receiver to start the season um they played that game versus the saints without a quarterback <laughs> that was that was an iconic uh, moment in nfl history i feel like um but yeah anything from last year if we're looking at this chart basically you know their average margin of victory is minus 7.7 so really got crushed several times. Um, average cover minus two, so they didn't cover well. Um, but they were nine and seven, nine and seven against ATS. So when they were competitive, they were you know they you know they they covered. Um, I think that that is what this chart kind of demonstrates. Um, but anything from last year that sticks out to you that we can pull into next year? Yeah, I mean I think I think Drew Locke was a bad fit for this team last year because they had a great defense and Drew Locke turned the ball, well, the Broncos turned the ball over more than any other team in the NFL. And primarily that's on Drew Locke. And so what you're doing is you're giving opponents short fields. And you, it's like, if you have a great defense, what you want is to basically play the field position battle, you know, play, play a little bit more conservatively, put yourself in a good position. And so Drew Locke was almost like the exactly what they didn't need. And I think that's kind of why they went out and got Bridgewater. Um, and so we'll see, you know, we'll see who starts. It seems like a pretty good quarterback battle. But I think if Bridgewater starts or if Locke plays with a little bit more uh, reining it in, I think the defense has a chance to be better because I think they had the worst average starting field position by their opponents in the league. Wow. And so if that normalizes, if they can get put in better positions defensively, they might be able to exert their will especially with some of the additions we're going to talk about. Well, yeah, and, and we'll go to the next slide, too, to, to talk about that. So, you know, from last year with that defense, I think is what we're talking about as far as a key component for 2021 is, I mean, they gave up, what, 27 points per game, which, again, I think some of those games were out of the hand and they were injured and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if that's actually reflective of the team we'll see this year. Um but yeah, anything, yeah, I mean, these are fairly generic. I mean, they, they were 6.9% ninth in the NFL for sack rate. Um, I think that's probably going to stay around there if not improve, especially with Von Miller coming back and some of their additions. 
um, and a better secondary that maybe locks down receivers a, a split second longer to get to the quarterback. Uh, anything else from from just these kind of broad stats that we can pull into 2021? Yeah, I mean, you can see it here, right? So they, they had the best red zone scoring defense, the ninth best sack percentage, but they didn't get a lot of takeaways and they had a lot of points scored against them. And it's like, well, if they're if they're sacking quarterbacks and they're playing really well in the red zone, why, well, well, why didn't they yeah. score much? It's like when teams have the lead, they don't need to put themselves at risk. So that's why they didn't have a lot of takeaways is they just weren't playing with the lead very often. When you play with the lead, you're more likely to get takeaways because the other side has to force the issue a little bit more. So if they can just put themselves in a better position offensively, I think you're going to see that defensive production also improve, even without the additions that they're going to have. So I think there's there's two reasons, two separate reasons to think the defense might improve this year. Um, and uh, actually, Dan just had a quick question, and I think that's a good one for us to ask. That if Locke doesn't get hurt, do we see Bridgewater this year? And I think 100%. I honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if Bridgewater starts out the gate to um, Josiah's concern, which is, is Locke still the turnover machine that he was last year? And, and again, I think he is what he was last year. Like, I don't see, like, you know, maybe there's a Josh Allen type turnaround or something. I mean, Josh Allen wasn't a turnover machine per se. Um, but not very accurate. And that's kind of my main concern with Locke is I don't know if he can help having so many turnovers in part because I just don't, he's just not very accurate. And Teddy Bridgewater is very accurate and but doesn't push, push the ball down the field. So again, to me, especially with this coaching staff, which I think is a key component of why I'm a little more bearish, I feel like on the Broncos than most people, is I do, I think the defense can be amazing, great defensive head coach. But the head coach is a, I would say, a minus EV head coach. Like, he is not in it from an analytics perspective as far as optimizing how his team strategizes on a per-game basis. And his offensive coordinator is also not in the analytics realm of calling games and setting his team up for success, which, again, like, if you have Drew Locke, who's already not very accurate and potentially not very good, being compromised by an offensive coordinator and a head coach who I'm just going to say are, are basically like old school type coaches. I just, I don't see where the offensive production kind of turns that corner unless Locke or Bridgewater carries the team um, in spite of their coaching, which is a very, very tall task. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think if the answer to Dan's question is no, then that means Locke played really well. <laughs> um, you know, he it means he took a big step forward. So like, I, you know, I can't see the future. I do think Teddy Bridgewater would just start week one. But if Locke has another really strong preseason game and if he's playing really well in camp, I can see why they would want to, you know, give him a chance because Locke's potential is greater than Teddy Bridgewater's potential for from sure. what we've seen so for far. Sure. Like. If if you told me Teddy Bridgewater is going to start all 17 games, then I would favor the over. But I would also say they're going to probably go like 10 and 7. Yeah. If you say Drew Locke is going to start all 17 games, I think their range of outcomes is more like winning five games all the way to winning 12 or 13 games. And so it all depends on what you know how the Broncos see themselves this year. If their defense is elite, which it could be, then they may see themselves as a potential you know deep playoff run team. 
Um, and if so, they've, they've got to see if Drew Locke can get them there. And if not, I think Teddy Bridgewater is the best, best bet. Well, and, and that's the thing is, if you remember when they won the Super Bowl with that stout defense led by Von Miller, you know, Peyton Manning was Mr. Noodle Arm and Brock Osweiler got a $40 million contract off, you know, going in for six games. So I, I don't know if you're the Broncos and you're Elway and management, like, like, wouldn't you want to go with like, I understand you have an investment in Locke and you want to see if he's the real deal and whatnot. But like, again, I know it's one year and it was a COVID year too, but I, I don't know. And again, I, I've been wrong about Josh Allen at this point, like basically not buying that he's as good. And I think he's going to have some regression this year personally, but Locke to me is he's so he's just wildly inaccurate, but he doesn't have the upside of Josh Allen's like athleticism and running ability to kind of like counterbalance that to like save him time to get become a better, stronger passer with a good offense coordinator. They don't even have a Brian Dabble as the offense coordinator. What Pat Shermer? I don't know. It just the stack seems the deck seems stacked against Drew Locke. So if I'm the Broncos, to your point, why not just get the 10 wins, get the playoffs, get use that defense in the playoffs, get an upset or two, boom, you're in the AFC Championship game, then anything, all everything's on the table then. You win two games, you're right there. You have two, you have two more games and you're champions, which again, I think is what they did with, with uh, Peyton Manning. Their defense carried them all the way to through the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning just didn't make any mistakes and made a key play here and there and key moments and that was it so yeah yeah i totally agree i'm team teddy for the broncos and last year they actually held Mahomes in their first game to like 200 yards passing mm. and like did a really good job against yeah. them and the chiefs won 43 to 16 i think mm. because drew lock threw i think two pick sixes and they had like a kick return touchdown and it's like, if you throw Teddy Bridgewater in that game and he manages that offense, even if they punt a few times, and but if they play that level of defense against Mahomes, you're giving them a chance against the Chiefs. Well, you know, so, so yeah, I'm team Teddy as well. well. And I think to that point, if we look back at the Panthers last year, Panthers were one of the best teams. And I mean, as far as like having one score games throughout the season, and, and to your point, yeah. that speaks to the quarterback, keeping his team within range to have a chance to win the game. And Teddy Bridgewater said what Joe Brady did not do was implement any kind of consistent strategy for red zone offense and like third and fourth down type offensive strategy. And, and I imagine that's probably in part due to them being new coaches, Matt Rule and uh, Joe Brady for the Panthers. And they just in a COVID year, maybe they didn't have time to implement it. So Bridgewater was criticizing them for not doing what was needed to be done, which was, well, in critical moments in the game, like there was no optimization of our schematics. And so we were predictable and thus I struggled is what, what I think he's trying to get across because he's obviously not, he doesn't think he sucks. And so even with the Broncos coaching that I'm not in love with, um, they're definitely gonna have more prep, at least in that direction. And so I think you would have a better version of Bridgewater this year than you had maybe last year in the Panthers. And he's got a better defense to where it's more in his range of outcomes of not, he really doesn't have to do too much. He really just needs to make a couple plays, let the offense come to him, you know, and keep his team right there for striking distance. And 10 wins is very, I think to your point, very, um, very achievable.
Um, but if we look at the additions yeah, and losses, oh, sorry, go ahead. And then we'll go to additions. I was going to say, if we, if we move on to the next slide, I think another thing that he has in his favor is not only is he getting Javante Williams, who I've been watching his college tape and I'm so impressed. Yeah, I, he looks good. My, my fantasy football uh, <laughs> league mates, if they're watching this, they're going to make me bid up on him in our draft in a couple of days, but he is, he's amazing. And so you've got him and then you've got Corlin Sutton coming back from injury. Um, you know, they had some other receiver injuries last year. So I think they've got a lot moving forward for them on offense, as well as these defensive additions. Obviously, these three really good cornerbacks, uh, by all accounts, they, they should be improved on both sides of the ball. So I think I think that kind of all moves in the same direction. Okay. Yeah. And, and anything else? I know they, um, I mean, the additions of their, their secondary, I think, are the big notable ones. What the Kyle Fuller, Patrick Sertain, they drafted. Um, I know they lost what AJ Bouye, but um, I mean that secondary could be top three, top five in the NFL by season's end. And obviously, like we talked about, the front seven. Um, and, and again, some guys, some guys because of the injuries last year got a lot of um, opportunities to really showcase um, and you know get playing time and experience. So, I mean, now now the Broncos have like defensive depth if they stay healthy this year too, which makes them super dangerous. Um, and, and Vic Fangio, you know, you can say what you want about his negative EV overall, but he can orchestrate a defense. For sure. And when he's got the talent to do it, it's it, it can be a nightmare. But and that, and but see that see this is where I'm like, you're right. If Drew Locke starts the season, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> like what? Well, you get you get it over here, but how come you don't get it over there? Like just connect them. Yes, yeah. you're, you're right there. Like because hire someone. And 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 the thing is, yeah. Let's hire uh, Josiah. Um, well, especially from the perspective of, you know, like do what you're, be Vic Fangio, do what you're good at. What, like Drew Locke's not your type of quarterback, like you said earlier. Like he's not. So it's okay. It's okay to go. This is not how I function at my optimal level. I'm going to remove the piece that's not making it work. I'm going to add the piece that is, and just go with what you're good at because you know it'll get you to at least good. And it'll put you in position to maybe be great for this season. And again, one final thing on this is I think Teddy Bridgewater, there's a reason why he was brought into the Panthers, who I know uh, Brett is very bullish on from the uh, owner perspective, uh, I think David Tepper, is they, they chose Teddy Bridgewater to lead the Panthers and then they were disappointed by him. But there was a reason why they bought into him too. And so were they completely wrong about Teddy Bridgewater? And then are the Broncos going to be completely wrong about Teddy Bridgewater? I, I think that's unlikely. So I think what we saw last year towards the end of last season with Bridgewater is probably somewhat situational of what happened to him. I imagine it's somewhere in the middle as to how good or not he really is. So I think his upside is more this year than anyone thinks. So yes, play him. But we can go to the next slide. Um, which is the schedule. Probably the most important part. Currently, it says estimated strength of schedule is 30th in the NFL. So maybe no matter who's quarterback, it won't matter. I don't know. Maybe they could start that fifth string guy they pulled off the practice squad or whatever last year. Um, so to kind of call it out, we have Giants, Jags, Jets to start the season. It doesn't get much better than Tasty. that. I mean, 3-0. I mean, if they're not 2-1... and one, Something's desperately wrong. Yeah, we're wrong. <laughs> um, then they go to they play Baltimore, Steelers, Raiders, Browns, Washington. That that's tough. 
Um, then they play Cowboys, Eagles, by week 11, Chargers, Chiefs, Lions, Bengals, Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs. So the division is much heavier towards the latter half of the season, which might be good. A lot of these divisions are like this, which can play into a kind of like, you know, Team X is hurt. You're playing them two times in three weeks and like Patrick Mahomes is injured now. <laughs> well, you caught a break there. So, I mean, I could play to some team's advantage towards the end of the season. So if we're looking at the Vegas estimated wins, it's eight and a half. Playoffs, plus 110 to the yes, minus 140 to the no. Super Bowl, plus 5,000. Which, if Mahomes... This is the way I look at the AFC. If Mahomes gets hurt, like we've said, two years in a row he had what people thought could have been season-ending injuries. If that happens this year, I think the AFC is probably wide open. And so could a, a Broncos team win this division, get a home playoff game, get the AFC championship game, beat a team they match up well against, maybe the Bills, boom, now they're in a Super Bowl. With, again, I think it'd have to be with Teddy Bridgewater personally. Maybe you do too, but I don't know. I think that's, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's within the range of outcomes. Um, the thing that makes me hesitant to play any season long with the Broncos is is I think the Chiefs are really good, and obviously we're kind of banking on them staying healthy. I think the Chargers are also good. We're going to get to that. Um, but the thing that I would favor in, in their favor is, one, you know, we talk about injury downside on season-long bets. With Bridgewater and Locke, you know, who both got injured at some point last year, if one of them gets hurt, the other one starts. They've got two good starting quarterbacks. Not not good, but they've got two startable quarterbacks. They're not going to Driscoll um, and whoever else they went to last year. Um, so that's that's good. And then the last thing is, you know, they get the Chiefs in Week 18. Sorry about my cat. Uh, they get the Chiefs in Week 18, and you know, there's a good chance that the Chiefs are, you know, yeah. 17 and 0, 16 and 1, 15 and 2, whatever record it takes to sit their starters. Um, and so, you know, you saw the Chargers get a free win last year in week 17 against the Chiefs. And that could happen for the Broncos. And so that, you know, that's a significant difference when you're talking about schedule. That's a great point. And to finish on that is it's also the extra game, which I, I imagine any team that's in position to be in the playoffs is 100% looking to scrap that game just because nobody's used to even it being being there. Right. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think to your point, if there's any season where that week 18 game, any playoff team that a team is facing, like just mark it as a W, like just like, I think what, 80% chance, like preseason, would you say, I would say like 80% chance that the Chiefs are going to throw that game away, at least maybe a half, maybe not yeah. the full game, but. Yeah, I mean, they'll still have to beat Chad Henney, but um, <laughs> the, the, the reason why I don't think I can bet the Broncos is because of the lock variants that I was talking about earlier. You know, you're you don't want to be sitting there with a with an over win total bet on the Broncos and then Drew Locke is Drew Locke of last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so I guess I guess the, the wait and see is who's gonna be who's gonna be the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm waiting. And if it's Locke, he's gonna probably look better than he should those first three weeks. And so they're gonna keep him too long. And then it's gonna be yeah. week seven. We'll see, we'll see against the Ravens. Switch. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, good stuff on the Broncos. I think we can move on to the lovable 
losing Raiders. Um, so last uh, year, eight, eight and eight, I believe. Eight, eight, eight and eight. That game that didn't matter, they pulled it out at the end. Um, Vegas estimated wins last year was seven and a half, so they went over. They hit eight and eight on that last game of the season. Um, ATS record, they were nine and seven. As you know, they're very competitive versus the Chiefs. Again, I think Gruden built his offense to mimic the Chiefs. That's why they drafted a Henry Ruggs type player. That's why they got Waller, get you know a, an integral part of their offense. Because I think they're really just trying to mirror the Chiefs. Well, they, they made it work, so I'm going to do it. But he doesn't know talent evaluation, especially on defensive sides of balls. Um, and, you know, their average margin of victory was minus two and a, minus 2.8. Average cover was minus 1.7. And their realized strength of schedule was sixth. So not an easy schedule, um, but they're also in a tough uh, division. So that's going to happen. Um Anything from last year that stands out to you besides those two Chiefs games that were, you know, in their own right in those individual situations were impressive. They went toe-to-toe offensively with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. But besides that... Yeah, they also played really well against New Orleans early on. Um, they, had, they had some very impressive games, and, and it was their offense. You know, they Derek, Derek Carr played you know, really well. the best he's ever in his career and i was very impressed with them uh pretty much throughout the year they were a bet on team for me most of the year um you'll see you know a lot of their uh downside came against the chargers and i was on the chargers in that game so Mm -hmm. so i didn't suffer the the bad beat that the raiders um had that day but but they were they were a good team they were competitive Derek carr was able to throw the ball downfield effectively um and and I they I think they they went under the radar. I think people don't give them enough credit for how good their offense was in particular. Um, and partly as we're going to get onto the next slide, they had a ton of giveaways. They had a ton of turnovers, but most of those were fumbles. And fumbles are not predictive, Very good um, especially when they're like receiver fumbles. And so so I think their offense actually outplayed the way people perceived them in 2020. That's a, that's a good point. And and also to the Derek Carr point. Um, and it kind of speaks to John Gruden is it's e- it's easy to say he's not not a good head coach, right? I mean, and I used to be a, a Bucks fan back in the old days, 25 years ago when they won the Super Bowl with John Gruden. Bucks traded two first rounders, two second rounders to get him. They won the Super Bowl, and then it was all downhill from there because it was Tony Dungy's team is is the narrative, which it it, it was. He put enough offense together to you know put it together with the amazing defense, and they won the Super Bowl that year. But after that, the team was terrible, and it, it and it and it just has. He's never been good since, and it, and I think what it is is he's got too much say in talent eval, and so the players they draft, the players they bring in, and the the choices they make to overpay Antonio Brown, who never wanted to be there, like is just like incessant and lunacy, and just like what are you doing? Because I think. He is a very good offensive scheming coach, generally speaking. So it's it, it kind of sucks because on one hand, you're like, he understands offense. He understands how to optimize it, to improve it, take advantage of other teams' defenses when he has the right quarterback. Like he, he And he's proven that his whole career. But his, his talent evaluation, his contracts he gives out to which players, like all of that kind of... GM level stuff that he partakes in is miserable, maybe the worst in the NFL. So it's like 
you're killing yourself, man. Like, it, it's sad because you're like, you want to root for John because he is a fun personality. But just, he just shoots himself in the foot. Every, like, I don't know. It just seems inevitable that this is what the season is likely going to be again. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, he's he's a likable coach. Players love him. I just, I like the way he handles himself, you know, in-game, all that kind of stuff. But it just seems like they're behind the eight ball every year with this roster. Yeah. And they're doing it again. I mean, you know, we're going to get to it, but they lost three of their offensive linemen. Um, and this is a team that's built to run effectively and then use play action off the successful run. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it <laughs> without an offensive line. Um, so I, I have serious doubts that they'll be able to keep up the level of efficiency and offense that they had last year. So it's kind of like they were underrated last year, but we're not going to be able to take advantage of it. Very good point. Yeah, I mean, it that's a very good point. And, and I mean, and, and to your point, maybe Derek Carr peaked too. Like that, that was the season because he, he was really yep. good. I mean, he, he really hit it on all cylinders, I feel like. Um, yep. But yeah, if we look at, at the additions, I mean, they got Yannick, defensive lineman from the Ravens. They got Gus Bradley as defensive coach. I mean, maybe that's... He's been in and out of the NFL, I feel like, the last five, ten years. Um Casey Hayward, eh, Carl Joseph, getting old in the tooth. I don't know. Yeah, the the. Uh, what do you what do you think about the additions? I mean, is is the defense even going to be able to improve at all? I, I don't. So so yeah, I like Yannick Ngakwe and I like Casey Hayward as, as additions. But my concern is, with both players, they are moving from a good defense to a bad defense. And when you have these players who are part of a good scheme with lots of really good supporting pieces, um, they they play well because they can trust their teammates to, to be in the right places so they can focus on what they're doing. Um, and they build that trust and, the, and that makes them a better player. You see this in Pittsburgh. It just, they elevate anyone that plays defense in Pittsburgh plays better because of the scheme. And I worry that moving those players to a really bad offense, which the Raiders have been a really bad offense for years, or defense, sorry, yeah. for years. I worry that they're going to be exposed a little bit as like, okay, so you're a good player, but you're not the kind of player that elevates the team around you. Um, so that that's my fear is that Ngakwe and Hayward are going to be overpriced additions that don't end up actually tipping the balance of the defense. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I do. I th I feel like the defense improvements are really going to come down to can Gus Bradley stabilize this this terrible defense, right? Like, can he stabilize the secondary, which they've wasted how many draft picks the last four years on, and they just can't can't get it right, um, and money, um, and, and you know, like you said, in the offensive line. I mean, as we know, man. Like, I mean. Again, I, I love the Super Bowl just from a like learning lesson of this is what happens when your offensive line blows. It's this bad. And, and if you remember two years before that, the, I think it was the Dolphins when they had that one-win season, um, and that you know they nuked the whole team to, to basically kind of um, the GMs wanted to tank, so to speak. I mean that offensive line was was awful to start the season, and that's why Josh Rosen like couldn't play. He could not play for the team, and Fitzpatrick took over was because. He can't move. No offensive line equals you're dead. So, um, yeah, so I'm I'm concerned concerned yeah. about the and then we as we've talked about with the Chiefs and the Broncos and we're about to talk about the Chargers. This is a tough division yeah. and 
it's not doing the Raiders any favors. Well, and if we look at the schedule, poor, 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 poor Raiders. They have the estimated strength of schedule first in the NFL, which means the hardest. So let's call it out. Ravens, Steelers, Dolphins, three playoff teams, Chargers, potential playoff team, Bears, Broncos, Eagles, by Giants. Maybe they get some wins. Chiefs, Bengals. Well, kind of split there. I'm gonna wait for this to repopulate. Um, but I mean, right there in the first half of the season, I mean, you're looking at at best 500 type team. I mean, just they'd have to have some really impressive wins. Um, after the Bengals, we got Cowboys, Washington, Chiefs again, Browns, Broncos, Colts, and Chargers. So I'm, I'm seeing about 10 to 12 playoff caliber type teams. That they're gonna have to go up against. I, I think their saving grace is getting to face the NFC East. So if they can win three of those four games, maybe they get over eight and eight. But I mean, they'd have to probably sweep the NFC East. Um, yeah, and then you're talking about the Colts late in the season, and as we all know, Eric Fisher is coming back from Achilles. Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz both hurt. Hopefully, for the Colts, all those players will be available. So this might be the Colts at full strength, which isn't great for the yeah. Raiders. Yeah, and to, and to kind of finish on the Raiders, you know, they're plus 8,000 Super Bowl, plus 350, yes, to make the playoffs. Um, estimated win seven. There is an extra game, which I think the, their last game was the Chargers, um, who are probably going to be competitive playing for a playoff spot. So yeah, I, I think the Raiders, it's just... You've seen this movie too many times, and it doesn't look like this movie this year is gonna has any chance of being any better than it was in previous years. So I, I don't. Yeah, to your point, without an offensive line, very tough to be excited about even betting the Raiders, just because the defense is poor, offensive line is poor. What are you betting on, Willis? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is another stay away. It's, it's, you know, the the thing about offensive line is like, I have opinions on which offensive lines are going to be good based on last year and additions and subtractions. But I feel like it's really difficult to actually predict. There's just so much potential for injury because you're talking about five guys and these are big guys that get hurt a lot. And you're talking about how different pieces fit together and, and how they look versus. And so like, I expect the Raiders to have a bad offensive line. But if if they didn't, it, you know, we don't know how good these players are. We don't know how well they're going to gel. That's fair. Um, so I don't want to make a whole season long bet based on a concept that may or may not pan out. So I'm, I'm not confident for or against the Raiders. And then the other thing is my biggest reason for betting the under would be the schedule. And the schedule can look one way in the preseason and then end up looking a different way once you see these teams play out or injuries happen and things like that. So yeah. it's there's no angles that I really want to dive into with the Raiders. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I think we can move ahead to our last team of the AFC West. We have the second team of LA, the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, last year was an interesting year. They estimated wins was seven and a half. Their record was seven and nine. Um, probably had a few games that they should have went over that. So bad beat potentially for uh, anyone betting the, the season total. Um, ATS record eight and eight. Um, average margin of victory was minus 2.6. Average cover was minus 3.2. 
and their strength of schedule was 26th. So had a fairly decent um, schedule as far as ease of pathway. Um, obviously, they had a lot of close games last year. Obviously, Justin Herbert was the talk of the town. Um, anything else from last year that you thought stood out that's worth taking into 2021? Yeah, I mean, I, I think their record was deceptively low. I think they were better than a 7-9 and team last year. Uh, they had several games that, you know, things happen in games, but three or four games that they should have won. And, and in my opinion, they outplayed their opponents and lost the game. You know, and there's, there's several reasons why that can happen. Sometimes the special teams play. Sometimes it's, you know, just unlucky bounces, calls, et cetera. But, but I think they were more like a 9-7 and team last year than a 7-9 and team. That's... That's kind of how I beat them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And, and honestly, I think their biggest Achilles heel was kind of like what the Lions Achilles heel has been the last three years, which is the head coach. I think Anthony Lynn just being a, a terrible head coach. You know, it, it's all about position. Like, again, the perfect kind of obviously he's the best of all time, Bill Belichick. But if you look at his Brady years and, and then the Matt Castle year, his team is always in position. Well, well how do you get in position? You just put yourself in positive expected value spots so that your best shines in pivotal moments. And when a coach doesn't do that, like a Matt Patricia, like an Anthony Lynn, it's just like like a team that could be two or three games better becomes two or three games worse. And then and then as we know with any kind of like season momentum, like you can lose players. Like like they can check out. They just give me my paycheck. Give me the hell out of here. Like. So like it's it's a snowball effect that bad coaching can have. So just the fact that Anthony Lynn's gone, like to me, it's like oh no brainer. Chargers have to be better this year. Obviously, I think Justin Herbert has a lot to do with that. But um, if we go to the next slide, we can see kind of what we can pull maybe from last year's kind of broad general stats as well. Um, they scored what twenty four points a game, eighteenth in the NFL. Um, third down conversion, Herbert was really good, um, pulling his team out of the depths of hell and throwing 70 yard bombs for touchdowns here and there, um, getting his team to big leads early and then collapsing down the stretch with bad coaching decisions, mostly and other things. Well, anything you want to pull from this as far as, uh, yeah, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wax poetic about Justin Herbert for a second because the man captured my heart last year. <laughs> He, he plays in within context and he, he did this as a rookie. And so what I mean by that is like, and this is kind of like what I like to focus on is where are the stats misleading people in their evaluation of teams and players? And I think that Justin Herbert was really good, better than the numbers last year, which I know is saying a lot. But one of the things he did was he, he played the way that you would within this situation. So let's say you have a third and nine a lot of quarterbacks will throw a six yard out with the defender closing on the receiver. And then the defender stops the receiver short of the first down marker. And it's like, oh, he was so close. And then they walk off and they punt. That throw is a 0% first down throw. Justin Herbert in the same situation, he wouldn't make that throw. Instead, he would throw it 10, 15 yards downfield for a more difficult throw, a lower percentage throw. But whenever the receiver catches it, it's a first down. So when, when you're talking about a, you know, a lower percentage throw that is actually more successful in terms of achieving what the team needs, 
that's what he was doing and he did it consistently mm. and and this is a rookie i was just i was really impressed you know what and, and i love that because it, it makes me more bullish about herbert um then because it reminds me of you know brady gets a lot of flack for some of his turnovers in the playoffs but the context around those turnovers were i mean he threw it 50 yards downfield on third and six like it it was it was a it was a punt before the punt and like as if brady doesn't know as if he doesn't know the risk that he's taking after playing for 25 years and winning six super bowls you know so that kind of um football iq like high intelligence of situational football from a qb perspective like you have the dwayne haskins of the world and then you have the justin herberts potentially of the world who take advantage of the situation and put themselves in the best position to and again what's even better is he threw those kind of shots too which yeah they're boomer bust type plays but when they boom right like like the bucks did Seven that points. boom play at the end of the the first half which won them the game like that yeah. like yeah it is boomer bust but sometimes depending on the situation and the timing of the event you have to take those types of um calculated risks and he seems to your point to understand that at least as a rookie we'll see if it carries over in year two uh, but if yeah and well, I, I also add that that people his his a dot his average depth of target was actually fairly low which doesn't line up with the way that you saw him uh -huh. throw the ball downfield it's because his offensive line was so bad that on first down a lot of times he's just dumping off to his running back and being like let's see what kind of position you can put us in for second and third down before we have to make these decisions and then when necessary, he's throwing downfield. And so I, I thought it was just very well orchestrated and 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 well done by Justin Herbert last year. It's very, so. very, very, it seems very intuitive. And what's interesting too, to yeah. finish on the Justin Herbert rant is, you know, coming into the season, there was a lot of anti-Herbert going to be the worst quarterback, I don't know, ever. I don't, like there just was a lot of hate built into a quarterback and I don't I think it might have been in part because he was an Oregon quarterback and you know Marcus Mariota didn't pan out Joey Harrington was a bust you just haven't had good products from Oregon and so maybe it was like this like you know how fans and people people are um, but I never sounds a lot like sounds a lot like Texas Tech to me Patrick Mahomes came uh, out of Texas Tech Texas Tech doesn't produce quarterbacks do they um, yeah, so so basically there was a lot of anti-Herbert hype, which I never understood, understood because when I watched him in college, I was like, I think fairly good quarterback. I, I, I didn't see, I didn't understand the hate. Um, and so it was nice to see that he actually outperformed everyone's expectations, it seems, even the Chargers who started Tyrod Taylor to start the season. Um, so if we look at la uh, this year's additions and losses, um, they added some offensive linemen, which they needed. I know they lost uh, Pouncey, their center, um, but he was in and out of the lineup anyways um, with injury, not as good as his brother. Um, Jared Cook replaces uh, Hunter Henry at tight end, which I think from a pass-catching standpoint, that's a potential upgrade, even though you know, Cook's obviously a little long in the tooth. Um, maybe. I like I like the draft, some of their draft picks, Asante Samuel. Uh, he may not get you know starting playing time, but it adds some good depth potentially. Um, and probably most importantly, their head coach and um, I mean their whole uh, coaching staff has been replaced basically. Uh, but Brandon Staley as head coach and Joe Lombardi offense coordinator, I think are definitely upgrades from last year for sure. Um, any thoughts on that direction? 
Yeah, so again, same with the Chiefs. They're, they bolstered their offensive line. And so you're talking about quarterbacks often take a second-year leap, and it's kind of hard to imagine Justin Herbert taking a leap from where he was last year. But he should be in a better situation. Um, yeah. You know, they lost Mike, Mike Housley, but Corey Lindsley was one of the best centers in the league last year. The Packers' offensive line was really good. Uh, Matt, Matt Filer and, and Slater are going to help too. I, I think this is going to be a, a more consistent offense. Um, and then, and then with Brandon Staley, he's saying all the right things. You know, he seems to have captured his team. You know, he's got the respect of his peers, the media. He, it just seems like this organization is clicking. Um, and I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, what, what they do with it all this year. It's, it's, a, it's a high upside team. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with that. I think, you know, especially going from an Anthony Lynn to a Brandon Staley is just night and day. So just from that alone, I think, your point Chargers aren't going to lose one score games you know eight of eight one score games or whatever like they're gonna they're gonna pick up some of those wins at least um yeah and so if we go to the schedule for next season unlike the Raiders uh the Chargers have the 20th ranked strength of schedule so that's good in their favor um Vegas estimated wins pretty high honestly at a first glance nine and a half um so there is some some buying the Herbert hype, um, as they say. Uh, playoffs plus one hundred five, yes, minus one twenty five, no. Which is a little odd if the Vegas estimated wins is nine and a half. So it seems like you're getting some value on that plus one hundred five playoff make rather than the nine and a half, assuming it's minus one ten or something. Um, I would think, right? I mean, because AFC playoff spot with the extra playoff spot, I think nine. If you get ten wins, you're you're in. Potentially, I think I think what this reads is the Chargers are going to have a hard time winning their division if the Chiefs stay healthy, and so you're basically saying wild card odds most likely, mm-hmm. and you know three non-divisional teams. The Dolphins are a popular team. Yeah. The Browns, Steelers, and Ravens are all potential in that division. Titans and Colts are all potential, and then Broncos, Chiefs, and Chargers. So I think there's there's a chance. You know, last year the Dolphins missed the playoffs at eleven and five. So with how many good teams there are in the AFC, mm-hmm. I mean the Patriots could also be up there. Um, I, I think I think that's what you're seeing with this with this price. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess you're right. It is eleven seems like the sweetest spot. But yeah, I think ten may not may not get you there. If, uh, yeah, ten and ten and seven. Yeah. 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 I guess with the extra game too, then yeah, you definitely need eleven. Is the uh, yeah at least. Uh, but I I was fortunate enough to get the Chargers over nine wins mm. earlier in the offseason at positive juice plus one oh, nice. um, and I my my Sharp Clark members yeah. got got access to that pick that are yeah, nice. long gone now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it seems like there's definitely a momentum building on the Chargers. And if we look at the schedule yeah. to kind of solidify that, um, they start the season versus Washington, Dallas up next, then they play KC. So they could be one and two, two and one. Um, I mean, maybe three and oh, Raiders, Browns, Ravens. Then they have their bye. So that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. So six games and they have their bye, which I think is probably good for this type team, especially, you know, new coaching staff, you know, get that bye early to like, okay, we played six games, had some competition, won some games. Like what's, how do we fix this? Um, Let's start. Yeah. After the bye, so so a good three and three type start, yeah. I think makes sense. Then they play Patriots, Eagles, Vikings, 
Steelers, Broncos, Bengals. So I think that's a, that's a that's a winnable stretch. I mean, I think that's fairly yeah. fairly. So that's where I think you might see the Chargers kind of start peaking, um, assuming obviously health is the biggest thing. Um, but after they play, what, so we have Steelers, Broncos, then they play Bengals, Giants, Chiefs, Texans, Broncos, Raiders. So another couple games that are very winnable. Yeah. So I mean, I, I mean, there's definitely. 8 to 12 wins within within their uh, capabilities for sure. So if they obviously pull some upsets and win those games, yeah, this definitely could be a dangerous type team um, if everything kind of comes together. And remember, we didn't even mention, you know, assuming someone like Derwin James is healthy, um, yeah. if their defensive line is healthy with Bosa, etc. I mean, the defense might be, you know, maybe not as good as the Broncos, but maybe right there, um, top 10 type defense with a Justin Herbert reprisal from last year maybe slightly more consistent slash better with that o-line i mean i think you're right from a talent perspective if herbert is the real deal could be a top yeah the, the bullish the bullish case is easy to make out for the charges and i think that's why you're seeing the line go up and up and up mm-hmm. the the counter argument is actually this brings up a point that i love is the counter argument is while the chargers always have high expectations and they always fail and it's like, that's not a meaningful, that's not meaningful analysis. This is one of those sort of media parroted things that has nothing to do with anything. This is a new coach, new quarterback, it, it potentially a whole new culture. And they ended last season on four straight wins. It wasn't like, it wasn't like they choked away those games. Justin Herbert was, was leading comebacks and they were winning. And so I don't think this whole Chargers culture thing is going to continue. I think I think it's, you know, if they stay healthy, I mean, you can never predict injuries and things like that. But if they stay healthy, this is a number they, they can well, easily beat. And you actually, that's a great point. And I'll bring it to the L- other LA team is if we remember the Rams, the culture was trash with Jeff Fisher. And the team was awful. Um, I know the defense was still good with Aaron Donald, but it, they scored 13 points a game. Then Sean McVay came in the very next year and had the highest scoring offense, like o- literally overnight. So with the same quarterback. Jared Goff, who we don't even think is that good. So I think to your point, I think that that whole media narrative is completely overblown and built around an old team with old players. And it's just, it's completely different team now. Different. The San Diego narrative. The San Diego narrative. They're in LA now. Um, and, and Brandon Staley's coming from that Rams team. And, and he led that defense. That defense was really good last year. Granted, you know, you got some, some good talent, but. I'm excited to see what Brandon Staley does, uh, what Joe Lombardi does. It's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun team to watch. Okay, so so we'll wrap this episode up with what is your final take on AFC West? How does it stack out? And how many which teams make the playoffs or don't? So I think this is a, a division where multiple AFC contenders can emerge. Um and I think it's gonna be Chiefs and Chargers. Um and, and I think both of them will have a chance to make a run depending on on what they look like at the end of the year. Interesting. And and is there value? Because it's just, just this Herbert talk kind of hit me from a... Could he be MVP? I mean, if, if the Chargers beat the Chiefs twice, let's say, right? Competitive games, but they pull out the victory. Chargers win 12 games, maybe win the division, but definitely make the playoffs. Herbert has 45 touchdowns. Mahomes has 43. I mean, what's that? I mean, like, could Herbert 
cross that threshold? Is he, is he, I don't know. It just seems like, because I mean, is there a world that he's better than even the bullish case for him? In, like, you know, like Patrick Mahomes, no, nobody, I mean, Patrick Mahomes wasn't drafted first overall. Like Andy Reid thought he was going to be great. Sean Payton thought he was going to be great. But like a lot of the Bears didn't. Like a lot of teams didn't think he was going to be great. Alex Smith played the full first season when Patrick Mahomes was a rookie. So could we, could, could it just be he's actually better than what people, even with the bullish cases, like think? They'll need the offensive line to show improvement, which they could because they have some new guys. They'll need their receivers to stay healthy because they don't have a ton of really superstar receivers. Yeah. Uh, although Herbert, so last year Herbert was, he had the most 400 yard receivers. I think I'm including a guy that had like 399 yards of any team in the league last year. So he spreads the ball out. He uses whoever's available. Um, but, but they do need Keenan Allen to stay healthy. Um, they do need Austin Eckler to stay healthy. I think if, if all those things can happen and they win the division, then yeah, I mean, Herbert's totally in play. You, you can't predict a season like Patrick Mahomes is coming out year in 2018. Sure. Um, but like, is it within the realm of possibilities for Justin Herbert? In my opinion, yes. Very nice. Love it. Okay, cool. Well, uh, appreciate it. Uh, Josiah, thank you for hopping on this AFC West breakdown um, as we gear into the season. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, I'm Zach. That's Josiah. Brett will be back on at some point in the future. Um, but regardless, we much appreciate Sharp Clark NFL. Check them out on Twitter. Um, and yeah, much more to come. Check out the website, portfoliokings.com. Subscribe if you're on YouTube. Follow us. Tag us, talk to us, whatever you want to do. We love it. We're here for you. And the NFL season 2021. Let's get it. Let's go. And of course, 